0: welcome to this podcast from the Bay Church. We hope you're blessed by the message. To find out more, please visit our website at www.the-bay-church.org.uk. That's one thing I've noticed that you guys are anointed for here is kindness, you know. Uh, you know Doug and Lynn, they just, what, friends and, friends and servants and owls and chums, and uh, it really is an honor to get to come here. As soon as, we did, as soon as we discovered that we were coming back to this part of the world, we just tried to figure out a way to make sure we this could happen, and uh, thank you for letting us uh, just show up. I got so, so many things stirring in me tonight at that... I don't know which one to dip into, if that makes sense. You ever like that, Alan? Got that. My problem is I've got seven messages going on in my heart right now. Which, which means... Yep, there you go. Yep, yep. All right. Uh, I, I like sound men. Uh, I think we ought to give sound men... Flowers every Saturday night before Sunday. I think you ought to always treat them because they 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 have more power than anybody in the church. They can just <laughs> they can just shut you down. You know what I'm saying? Or they can raise you. Up. Uh, <clears throat> a little a little piece of writing that I'll just I'll just share with you real quick. That sort of sets a little bit of the tempo of what I what I think I might share tonight is. Um, You know, back when people lived on the land and they worked the land, they had a a look of wildness on their old-fashioned faces, especially in their eyes. But now we live in a world that clamors after the latest fashion and beauty has become a product and a disguise. And there was a time when a young man's hearts weren't calloused, his hands were. And they would have been proudly dressed in the dust of the land. And old men were called sir, and handshakes still meant something, and ladies were still respected as miss and ma'am. And hats were taken off at the door, and gentle smiles were found at evening fires. And the deepest sense of belonging to the land was lived out in the beauty of the songs that were remembered around the hearth. But when the poets no longer can hear the song of the land, they have no notes to sing, and their children cease to learn who they are. And then they grow up and refuse to dress in the dust of the land, and ashes lay cold on the hearth. Now, there's a a bit of truth in what we all feel when we suddenly feel like the world is changing faster than we can change with it. And we feel like um, somehow or another we're, we're almost like being left out in, in the world that we helped create in the cultures that we helped to, to steward and foster and bring forward. And, and uh, things change. Technologies come along that, uh, that it's hard for us just to get a grasp of. And, the, and we watch generation after generation after generation. We watch, just watch the world change around us. There's a and then sometimes we have opportunity uh, to look back. And sometimes we can look back with nostalgia and we can look look back with all kind of sentimentality of the way it used to be. And nothing awakes that sentimentality in, in us quicker than the songs that we, uh, that when we hear. As soon as we hear the song, as soon as we hear the first four notes, we go back to that place. Like I said, I think it was last night, I, I think memories just love to gather around old guitars. And they just sit there in silence waiting for somebody to touch the strings. And when they do, we get to go back down whatever memory lane that was, you know, you remember, remember the first time you heard uh, the Beatles or the first time you heard uh, whatever, whatever band it was that, uh, that somehow awakened that emotion or that expression in you that, that gave you reason to belong in your generation. and and now, you know, in the last uh, 10 to 15 years, more musical styles have been created in the last 10 or 15 years than there has the last 10 generations. And the reason is, is because the, because the world is changing so quick, quick, it's becoming so interconnected with this globalization thing that's going on. Uh, all of the cultures in the world are able to be lived out or at least experienced emotionally or, or spiritually on some level just by the technologies we have. You know, we can just flip on the television, we can just turn on, we can just, uh, you know, we have access to the whole world. But I, I believe that um, there's still that something that needs to be said that we're, we're born to look back. But we're born to look back with honor and, to, uh, and so that we can look forward and promise. And sometimes it is just old nostalgia, but sometimes it is remembering the wonder of what God has brought us through. And, and that's reason I, I, one of the reasons that I love to, love to dig into these things to, to just to have an understanding of where we are today to, is to look at the wonder of where God brought us from. Uh, you, you know, I, I, I come from seven generations of redneck non-achievers. And uh, uh, it was a, a strange, a, a strange upcoming for me. Um, I, I, I guess, um, well, I, I'll, I'll read you a, a writing here. I'm, I'm from Kentucky. I grew up loving pocket knives, beagle hounds, dirt roads, and lies that used to be told on the courthouse bench. Fish tales and snake tales, and I swear it's the truth tales. You just ask somebody. I'm from Kentucky where skinny old men crouch with bent shoulders and they close one eye and smoke through toothless stories about days of soldiering i'm from kentucky where borrowed laughter flies like lies from under the feathers of a thousand dollar hat while million dollar horses chase each other to the roar of drunken cheers i'm from kentucky where i once walked along skaggs creek young and quiet and gentle days and skipping rocks they filled me with loud thoughts and wild dreams and sycamores were left and forgotten i'm from kentucky so if i smell hickory burning Biscuits and gravy waiting. Kerosene mornings on fes- or fescue in the wind. I know that home might be far away, but it's not gone. I am. I'm from Kentucky, so Scotland and Ireland and Wales and England, they chase each other through my veins. They sing and they dance and they love and they fight each other. They always have. And one day, they always won't. I'm from Kentucky, so my Cherokee Powhatan and Osage feet, they cause me to walk like I'm sneaking up on something before something sneaks up on me again. And I'm from Kentucky, so my family tree branches, my family tree, the branches hang low with the weight of secrets and pain, and still trembles to long ago thunder, and by the grace of God, they still budge in the spring, always has and always will. I'm from Kentucky, where old dreams stand behind me like weary victims, and some lie still in the smoky shadows of yesterday's wars, where memories speak to one another about lost days and forgotten friends. I'm from Kentucky, and I've lived on roads that lead to forever, but they're paved with nowhere to be. And if it cost a quarter to go around the world, I couldn't get out of sight. So I danced with stormy winds until I was gone. I'm from Kentucky and I left 45 years ago. I boarded boarded an outbound dream going to fix the world and walk on water. And now I'd like to just lean back in the shade and dip my feet in a creek and fix me and tell that sycamore that I did not forget that I'm from Kentucky. So... Oh, that's... we we got our journeys that we travel and uh, somewhere along the way god causes us to uh become who we're created to be and then sometimes we get to realize it a lot of times we don't a lot of times we're we're ever ever uh looking for something that's going to bring about some kind of change that's not even real the only thing we're going to really going to find that's real in this world is the love of God. Every, everything else has to be married to that on some level or another. You know, sometimes the uh, <clears throat> the uh, the transition that we're going through is is completely misunderstood. The, uh, <clears throat> see, transitions in life a lot of times are spoken of as these described in birth, birthing terms. But I see transition as, as, as that, those old knowings that are still alive and are whispering their dying breath while the new day is already born, but we're un- unable to speak clearly enough to be understood. And what makes it difficult is the confusion as to who to listen to. Do we listen to yesterday's wisdom or are we going to listen to tomorrow's hope? both of them have something valuable to say. Now, I read that, and I shared that with you guys the last time I was here, and I talked to you a little bit about what, that I felt like there was a transition coming that was going to feel like a bunch of unknowns, and it, but, and the unknown can be scary because we've already grabbed a hold of the world, of a world or a life that we think has become comfortable because we understand it, and I know that this is a strange way to start a message on a Monday night, but I'm—I'm I'm just feel like I'm supposed to tell you tonight that you're about to have such a powerful, God-given transition into a new day that you may not recognize the old things, and for a season you're going to be so in awe of what God is doing that you're not going—you're just not going to be able to believe that where you are, because the transition is going to be so sovereign and it's going to be such a a time of the holy presence of God is coming so that the overflow of the worship of this house can bring people out of their sycamore Lord, yes, Lord, yes. and into, into seasons of healing and, and into seasons of knowing the goodness and the greatness of God. There's folks that are, that are hidden away right now in, in some of the darkest seasons they've ever experienced in their life. And they don't know, they don't even know the, the, the awakening that's coming to their lives. And I'm, and I, 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 I'm just telling you that there is a wisdom that's already been deposited in in, in this house, and uh, and uh, the part of what the Lord showed me was is that the, that you're going to be a people that walks in the wisdom of a thousand storms, but and because of that, you're going to be able to speak to storms now, and they will obey. There, it's not going to be so much as praying and trying to work up a lather of faith to see something break through. Uh, you are in a season right now of a beginning of seasons of breakthrough that will be calming storms. It'll be cur- cursing and breaking diseases. The Lord's going to give give songs in this house that are going to, going to overflow into life into the and to the those that that are moved by the Holy Spirit to find theirself through all of their disappointments and through, through their pains, you're going gonna to start to taste and see that the Lord is good because of what this house carries. And it's, it's not going to, you're just not going to have the privilege anymore of the way it's always been. Come on. Come on. The way it's always been is now over. Amen. And, I, and I just, I, 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 you know, I feel very strongly about this, this word tonight is, is, is a shift that is going to go into almost an accelerated immediacy of a whole new knowings of God. And the, 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 the thousand storms that the Lord keeps speaking to me about, I, you know, the, some of those are just storms of disappointment, storms of loss, storms of pain, st- storms of misunderstanding storms, you know, you can, if you walked through what must have been the dominant thoughts within the minds of all of those that Jesus said, get in the boat, we're going to the other side. And when I got out in the middle of the, 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 the sea, that is when they got a, a rude awakening. Because, you know, for, for a boat to be in a storm is, is not a big deal. But when a storm gets in the boat, it's a whole different thing. <laughs> Boats are built to be in the sea. But is the sea built to be in the boat? And, and, and so, what, you know, they're, they're out in the depth of it all. And when this storm comes up, all they know is is Jesus don't care because he's asleep. But when he woke up, he had something pretty profound to say and to do. Uh, you know, they knew that he didn't care at that point. You know, he's, you know, they were, you know, do you realize why they couldn't speak to the storm? Because there was more storm in them than there was in the sea. So had they spoken to the storm, all they would have done is caused the storm to be be even more outrageous. Because they were carrying more storm than was out there. That's one of the reasons that Jesus could wake up and he spoke what was in him. He was speaking from a place of rest and and surety. And see, the thing is, the whole reason that whole thing went down is because they forgot what he said. He said, we're going to the other side. But they thought halfway across is when they realized they're never going to get to the other side. Had they trusted the word of the one who was sleeping in peace, they would have been able to sleep in peace as well. But when they got more storm in them than there was out there, that's where the conflict started to happen. Yeah. And now, what did Jesus do? He, st- he, st- he, he, he said two things. And if you look at it in the Greek, what he actually said, is he said, peace, be still. He said, peace to the storm, and he said, be still to the, to the disciples. Okay. But he said, peace, and the, and the <coughs> word that he spoke to them was, it actually literally, in the Greek, it literally means put a muzzle on it. Did <laughs> you ever see that? It's, it's a word, put a muzzle on it. In other words, clamp it down. What, if you speak to, your, to that storm with what's in you, but I'm saying all that to say this. I didn't plan on talking about that. But what, I'm saying all that to say this. Now is the time for the muzzle of yesterday's miseries and disappointments. Oh, wow. And, and, and even the attitudes that attach themselves to our lives, born out of the things that we've experienced, and how the disappointments, we really have to mark a moment yeah. a, of shift now. Yeah. And what is that? We're getting a new song, a new sound. A new sound was released into that storm, and the storm had to come into agreement with it because it was the song of the Lord. It was the sound of God's intent being realized again. What was, what was happening there, and we can call it a song because it, what was happening there is the sustained intent that God had already spoken. When Jesus spoke on the shore over there, that intent was set in motion. Yeah. But when, you get, when they got halfway across, they forgot the lyric. <laughs> they forgot the song. And all he had to do is just, st- set, st- just stand in that, ap- in that atmosphere and put the notes back in the song that they were all born to sing. It's an amazing thing that, that, that happened right there. I, w- I want to read you one other little thing just for fun. Can I do that? Yeah. And then I want to I talk about the power of what happens when a, song, when a sound, when seed words hit the atmosphere. Okay? <clears throat> I was raised six miles from a hill of beans you uh, there's a lot of sayings that we have that come from over here. Do y'all ever hear somebody didn't worth a hill of beans? Is that a? Yeah. Is that a? It's not. Yeah. Uh, I've I've always just been curious how many of our sayings you know that uh, that we have because you know so so much we're Scots, Irish, and hillbillies. And a hillbilly <laughs> is William Augustus Duke of Cumberland. That's where we get our hillbilly hillbilly from. So anyway, I'm, going, I, I'm just going to try this because I'm here, and, I'm, and, if, and, if it, and, if, and if you don't like it, I'm leaving in just a little while. <laughs> but, but, uh, but anyway, there's an old, old saying in, uh, where I'm from, it says, ain't worth a hill of beans. And, uh, and so I just turned that into a place called a hill of beans. I was raised six miles from a hill of beans, but I don't know enough to tell you how to get there. But if it'll help you find your way, our zip code was, our postal code was E-I-E-I-O. <laughs> I left there 40 years ago on a blue moon night, and if you buy me a strong cup of coffee, I'll tell you where I might have been. If not, I'll tell you where I'm from for, for, for free. I spent most of my years in, the, in, in institutions of lower learning, figuring out how to get in out of the rain. There, over here, did they say... He ain't got enough sense to get in out of the rain? Do they say that? Okay. All right. Uh, I've spent most of the years uh, years in institutions of lower learning, figuring out how to get in out of the rain. I've become good at it. One of my teacher mentors was an old man named Fat Daddy. He was forever recalling people that he knew that did not have enough information or God-given ability to get in out of it. So I surmised long ago that that bit of knowledge is somehow important. However, I must admit that even after becoming experienced at it, I still sometimes find it difficult to process thoughts while raindrops are hitting me in the head. (laughs) I'm sure that we all know, people, that it could be said of them they don't know very much and others are accused of not knowing anything. But I can truthfully tell you that I have some relatives that I've spent time with these folks that didn't even suspect anything. (laughs) But Fat Daddy was not one of them. He suspected everything and he suspected everybody, especially some knucklehead ignoramus that didn't have enough sense to get in out of the rain. He seemed to despise them. I could tell by the way that he would jolt and cut his eyes toward old man Slade and grunt right before he would growl out his words when he would spot one of them. He'd say, he and old man Slade, you know, they were excellent despisers. They had the uncanny ability to make a living sitting on the porch of the Hill of Beans post office looking up and down the street and identifying all the people that didn't have enough sense to get in out of the rain. They were masters of their craft, and they were fully given to this discipline. They could do it even on sunny days. They knew who couldn't get out of the rain. Somehow they just knew. In fact, Daddy was a spitter, and old man Slade was a whittler. And neither of those talents got in the way of their mission, their life given mission. They would just spit and whittle for hours and not speak a word and then suddenly one of them would snap out of the quiet at the sight of an oncoming, card-holding, wethead ignoramus club. Well, Fat Daddy would brace himself and he would say, I will declare, even that fool right there knows that all that glitters is not gold and you can catch more flies with honey than you can with vinegar and money doesn't grow on trees. You should never trust a man that a dog doesn't like. Because early to bed and early to rise makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise, and beggars can't be choosers. Where there's a will, there's a way, because a closed mouth catches no flies. He knows good and well that a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, and a squeaky wheel gets the oil, and an apple a day keeps the doctor away. So don't count your chickens before they hatch, and a leopard can't change its spots, because if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's a duck. It's not a a leopard. AND OF COURSE THE EARLY BIRD GETS THE WORMS AND they don't, know, THEY DON'T THROW THE BABY OUT WITH THE BATH WATER. A WATCH POT NEVER BOILS WHEN GOOD THINGS COME TO THOSE WHO WAIT, SO NEVER TRUST A SKINNY COOK WHEN A ROLLING STONE IS GATHERING NO MOSS. <laughs> <laughs> WASTE NOT, WANT NOT, BECAUSE CLOUDY MORNINGS GIVE WAY TO CLEAR EVENINGS AND TWO HEADS ARE BETTER THAN ONE. So make hay while the sun's shining and into every life a little rain must fall so finders keepers losers weepers but God helps those who helps themselves <laughs> No rest for the weary when the road to hell is paved with good intentions and every tub sets on its own bottom And of course that's no hill for a climber so never thump a free watermelon <laughs> Now I didn't just fall off the turnip truck, and I wasn't born yesterday. And even I know you've got to stop and smell the roses, even if you're sitting in tall cotton because cleanliness is next to godliness. And and it goes without saying that he was a really good man, but that fella right there, he ain't got enough sense to get in out of the rain. (laughs) Now, if a man lives on a dirt road and he carries a pocket knife and can somehow make a living spitting and whittling on a post office bench, There's really no reason to question the validity of his stories or the wisdom of his words. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe Fat Daddy to be a level-headed man because he always had tobacco juice running out of both sides of his mouth at the same time. However, I have learned that sometimes it's a wonderful thing to lay aside old logic long enough to take a walk in the rain. I'm not sure that Fat Daddy and Old Man Slade would agree, but I try to look up every chance I get, and I'm learning to look for those days that the sky is filled with the kind of rain that untangles your life. I'm not sure that all rain is supposed to be gotten out of. I have found that sometimes walking in it is better than running from it. Yours truly now <clears throat> there's uh, there's something to be said about old logic and old wisdom but i'll remind you one more time that jesus never had a logical thought in his life he didn't think logically he thought optically he was jesus he was not socrates he didn't think in greek linear thinking and he try, didn't try to line everything up and make it work and he didn't have to have all the answers and you don't have to have all the answers when you are truth. And what he did is he, he walked in such a way that whatever need arose, he spoke out of the presence of the Father in his life and he calmed storms and he, and he walked on the very waters that could be the drowning waters. <laughs> everything, uh, every, everything that was put in motion against the purposes of the Father in somebody's life, he had the ability to speak to that storm because he also had, he also had the ability to make the rain that he walked in. <laughs> <laughs> to me, that tells us that we've been given permission t- to walk in our prophetic destinies and when necessary, pray up the storm. Another old saying. Uh But praying up a storm can be praying up uh, a storm of righteousness. Uh, It doesn't have to be the storms that the enemy brings that are destruction. And uh, again, I know an odd message, but I want to tell you, there is an anointing coming to this house to pray up storms that will create the high winds of heaven in this realm. That is going to stand and resist, stand against all storms of destruction that the enemy has set in motion to come against us. What it is, is we're just realizing that all of those, to realize that we are the people of God is to, re, is to realize that we are the people of God. Amen. I mean, uh, uh, to even imagine what that, the people of God, people who demonstrate the power of God in the face of all adversity. Demonstrate the power of God in the face of pain. Demonstrate the power of God in, in the face of economic disaster. Whatever it is, whatever storm it is that it comes against humanity, there is a remnant of people that God has chosen to be able to stand in faith, stand in power, yeah. and not move in religious rhetoric and presumption, but actually have a language of life in them that shuts down storms for other people. Jesus didn't have, Jesus didn't have the storm. Come on. Jesus wasn't living with the storm in him. And I think that's one of the reasons we're going through this season of transition in this house that's going to step us out of the old, just the old knowings into the new beings. It's, it's like, which, which are we going to lean to? Wisdom? Yes, we can lean to wisdom. But there's something about stepping out of the old wisdom into the, the actual manifestation of what we've gained through those, through those storms. Amen? Uh, amen? Yeah. Yeah. Now, y'all have heard me talk about, in the music realm, you've heard me talk about some, that there's this word sing. Now, the, the song that's coming to this land is going to, be a, is going to be an atmosphere shifting sound and song. Now, this week is... is You know, that that word sing that I talk about, where it walk about? I'm I'm going to give you a a picture of that. The picture of that is actually, couldn't be more stark than the celebration of this week. This has been an amazing week for me, by the way. Uh, This is the the 46-year celebration of giving my heart to Jesus this week. And... and then the day we left to come over here to see you all that was uh, me and my sweetie's 41st anniversary yeah. and uh and, and so and then i realized after i got here that there's also something was marked at this past week that the that actually changed the whole world musically there was a musical event that happened this week in in 1969, the most famous music festival that ever happened in the world. There it was. A whole generation. And and everything about it was just uh, almost unpredictable in the way that it happened. First of all, it wasn't even going to be a a music festival. It was going to be a gathering of just a small music festival. It it was going to be a musical event, like a concert kind of thing, going to have two or three bands. And what they were going to do is they were trying to raise enough money. These guys, these young guys got an idea. Well, let's just do a music event and we'll take the proceeds of that and hopefully make enough money. We'll build a recording studio so that we can capture the sound. Okay? That's how simple it was. Just a little, a little small thing because that was about to be lived out in the big dreams. And so, they, they scheduled the thing, and then it, it started getting out of hand, because right at that time in history, uh, the, the nations, our nation was in upheaval, and the nations were in upheaval. The Vietnam War was going on. There was all kinds of things that were going on at the time. But it was right in the, at a time in a generation where, like in 1967, everything shifted, because uh, w- what had happened prior to that is the music had suddenly become the language of nations, on levels that it never had because now they had recording process that they'd never had before It had promotional devices and, and and communication mechanisms like radio and marketing and all this was just starting to form. You gotta remember, we in the light of eternity, or even the light of the look how many thousands of years man has made music on the earth. But then there was a generation only 50 years ago where nobody had ever, ever heard rock music. A whole new Multicultural sounds of nations cross pollinating, really, and all kinds of people groups cross, you know, merging, and this sound uh, was born out of that. And uh, this sound of rock music. Now, we can look to certain places and certain cultures, and I'll say it, certain lands and certain communities that carry these signature sounds that suddenly begin to be heard and reshaped all of the world's thinking toward music. <clears throat> Not long before that, like, is, is, like 1945. But, but here's my point. There was no such thing as rock music 50 or 60 years ago. And then right before that, 1945, there was an old guy from Kentucky walked onto the stage of the Grand Ole Opry, and a whole new sound was born that night. A fellow named Bill Monroe from a place called Jerusalem Ridge, Kentucky. And he played a song called Jerusalem Ridge. And uh, Monroe is a 3,000-foot mountain in Scotland. <clears throat> he was bringing these ancient sounds and what he used to call, and, and he loved to whisper it when he'd say ancient tones. And I, I got to know Mr. Bill, and I was, that was part of his funeral and, and all that kind of stuff. And I got to, I got to tell him all, this, all about the Tabernacle of David before he went to heaven. This old father of a musical style is a wonderful thing. And then right on the heels of that, here comes a guy, a, wel- a Welshman, who was fatherless, and out of his own brokenness and physical pain, uh, he, began to, he stepped onto the stage of the Grand Ole Opry also. And something supernatural happened because of the sound that he was carrying. There was something that nobody had explanation for. And on the stage of the Ryman Auditorium that we talked about last night, uh, they said, Uh, and and he was carrying Welsh blood and he steps on the stage, listen, uh, welcome to the Grand Ole Opry for the very first time, Montgomery, Alabama, welcome Hank Williams. And Hank Williams walked out on the stage and everything changed at the Opry. There was, and there's testimonies of this that when he walked out, it's like he was a real skinny guy and he had back trouble and he he drank a lot and and he had a lot of pain in his life, but when he, he started playing the music, it, was, it said it was as if his, like a, you would put a coat in a coat hanger, and it hovering and dangling, almost like it was dancing in midair, suspended behind the microphone, as all these blue lights engulfed him. But the thing, thing was, is there were no blue lights. And This is written in numerous books and testimonies. And nobody, knew, and nobody could understand. But when he began to sing, these blue lights appeared all around him, and they wound up with so many encores that they thought they were going to have to actually go off of the air and try to get the crowd back together because they were afraid of a riot happening in the Ryman Auditorium. And, then so, and here is a guy who, who lived the rock and roll lifestyle before rock and roll. Because of all the pain, anger, hurt, all kinds of things in his life, but if you look back at the at the bloodline there, you'll you'll find that uh, William Williams, the great hymn writer of Wales, is in his bloodline. So the songwriting blood was was you know, bread of heaven, <laughs> yes, that one, and and, and most uh, and most all of the other language uh, that defines Wales as the place of. The land of song, or the land of singing revival, and so on, and that is also those are the beginning days of a signature sound becoming part of the language. As they, the land of our fathers, honoring their fathers with the songs that would come, and then right on the heels of that, you have a young man who's 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 carrying Welsh blood. His father is Welsh, and his mother is Jewish, carrying covenantal promises again down through the generations. And uh, that's when I told you the story last time I was here about Claude Ely, the old guy from uh, Big Stone Gap, Virginia, singing that song. Ain't no grave gonna hold my body down. Ain't no grave gonna hold my body down. And when Elvis heard that song, it awakened the song in him because this Jewish mother and Welsh father had a little boy named Elvis that encountered one guy's testimony who was raised f- off of his deathbed at 12 years old because he found his song. So when we think about some of these folks like, like Elvis, and we think of these musicians that all of a sudden step onto the stage of identity and recognition and all that, but when you start looking at uh, the sounds and the songs of the lands and the destinies that they came from, and then in their day, they would just step up and become the voice for, ev- for a whole generation. And a, a whole generation is saying, just like we do today, oh, Lord, I should have wrote that song. <laughs> you know, you hear the song that is your journey and the first thing you want to do, is, I, sh- I should have wrote that song. That's a, that, you know, but we didn't. But what makes it so real is they give voice to something that's a, a void or a vacuum in the heart of man. And they give language to, the, to others' experiences in the same way that, like the Hopi Indian people, the Hopi Indians, Every song is about the same thing. It's about water, because that's their greatest need, greatest lack in that desert situation. That's why so many songs are about love, because it's the greatest need, the greatest lack in in the human heart. We're looking for that sense of belonging born out of the, the deepest emotion God could ever have expressed. He expressed it through creativity and creation. For God so loved the world that He gave, and that world that He loved so much... He expressed that world into existence, and that word is cosmos, the order by which all things are created to function and exist. So God loves so much. Everything that you see God created, he created as a result of that was his motivation, was love. He set life in motion because of love. And life is supposed to then be immersed in love. But what happens is, Then there's one that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. It tries to take life and distort and pervert and and put so much pain and loss. When we're we're not created for loss, we're created for the love of God to define who we are and be that people who, who when we sing, people can experience His love. In the same way with the storm thing. That's, that's what we're created for. But what, what happens is, is then the enemy comes along and he tries to always go after the number one thing that we were created to do, and that's our worship. And he doesn't want us to know what our song is. He wants to always have us basically aborting the, own, the, the, the real dream of our life and heart and giving it, a, giving it away to those that are singing our song. You know, I, I, I always tell folks, listen there's something missing in your life if the, if most of the music you hear is recorded we're supposed to have a song we're supposed to have that pure that purest and most genuine and authentic expression of who we are and when i say song that can be singing or art or poetry or pottery or whatever it is that causes the deepest expression of who you are it could be you could be a uh, an architect or a welder or a what you think that's labor no you know like writing can be labor if you make it labor, but when does a when does a task give way to the joy of identity you know there's a certain amount of disciplines that have to come with the things that we do, but somewhere along the, the line, the wind uh, that, that makes it be like task that, that resistance thing the Man, the wind pops those sails, and the, when our praise unfurls, we wind up, it catches, we catch the wind instead of the wind hitting us. Uh, but, but you look at all of those that came down, they, they defined culture in their day. And in the meanwhile, like when those guys were rising up, the church is standing over here cocooned away in their stuff, pointing fingers of criticism at what they're doing, and that's one of the reasons Elvis stepped right out into that. Yeah. And, and of course, when, then when the war broke out, uh, Elvis goes away to the army and leaves. The, he was the king of rock and roll, but he leaves the throne uncovered. And four guys from Liverpool step up and become the four Elvises. They, t- they more than took up that vacuum in the music realm. And introduced things that had never been. And, and who were these guys? Just four kids. If you look at the old videos and stuff on them now, they were, you know, they were goofy. <laughs> uh, but they were genius. <laughs> you know, they were strange. You know, they're making jokes. And, and uh, they didn't know. There's no way they could have understood the enormity of what the, they were doing. Any more than those other guys could. When the Hank Williams walked out that night and began to sing his pain And that supernatural thing that happened there, and and strangely enough, it was a blue light. Okay, Elvis goes away to war. The Beatles step in, and uh, and by 1967, when uh, when Elvis came back from the Army, uh, everything shifted, and because Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Heart Club band, when they did Sergeant Pepper's, what they did is they created a soundtrack for the drug culture at their own admission and in, the, in the interviews that they, they'll tell you that the psychedelic music was also uh built uh, created in such a way to create atmospheres for the lsd that timothy uh, what's his name leary had already determined and there's a theology connected to that it says we will change the world and here's get these words heal all nations with LSD and music. And so they c- began to create the psychedelic sound that would enhance the experience of the drug. I'm not some conspiracy, fear-driven guy. I'm just telling you what happened, okay? I'm not, and, and, and so the minds of a generation are now being messed with, and, it's a, and there's about to be a whole other thing happen that brings a sense of spirituality to it, that is a perversion, as well. Are you okay with this? Because yeah. I, 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 I'm going some somewhere with this. Now, what happens is when that when that happened, the Beatles come and take the throne. 1967, Elvis comes back home, and he finds out that he's been dethroned. Of course. What does he do? He reaches back into the depth of who he knows he was. And when Colonel Tom Parker wanted him to come out and with the, the biggest record of all times, he said, yeah, I will. And he, so he, he did, uh, uh, precious Lord, take my hand, and how great thou art. And, and he, hymns you don't, you don't step back into the, you don't step back in, but he, uh, he said, I'm, I'm, this is not about competition. And he actually stepped up and began to sing the word of God. And that was his first coming back song. And you watch this conflict start to happen. And then by two years later, and of course he married Priscilla at the same time, and that's conflict too. But but what happens was, is now two years later, this event begins to happen that's going to change the world. And at the beginning of Woodstock, and first of all, it didn't happen in Woodstock. Do you know that? It didn't happen at Woodstock. It happened, that place fell through last minute. And so it happened, actually, this musical thing that changed the world happened in a place called Bethel. (laughs) Yeah, they lost it. They lost their deal. And a farmer said, he offered his land, which in the face of harvest, he gave his land for the event to be held there at Bethel. Now, the word has gone out, and, and they've already put out the advertising, and remember the logo with the guitar neck and the dove sitting on it? It wasn't a dove. It was a cat bird, which is an, an American bird that sits in the trees and makes the sounds of cats and freaks cats out all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It'll do this cat sound. A bit of an imposter, you might say. I don't know what Cat Stevens thought of it, but... Now, folks, that was funnier than that. <laughs> <clears throat> but when this thing started, now you got a half a million people have shown up at this, in the middle of the field. A half a million people in a generation. And now the first sound is getting ready to happen. And you know what the first sound was? They walk, a guy walks out with all of his minions lined up across the stage and they all sit down and they cross their legs. And his name is Sri Swami Satchadananda. Yeah, everybody say that 10 times, and you get a whole new prayer language right here on a Monday night. <laughs> but when he walked out, he says, my beloved brothers and sisters, and he, he and he's, uh, I am overwhelmed with the joy to see the entire youth of America, a generation gathered here in the name of music. In fact, through the music, we can work wonders. And here stands this Hindu guy. Music is a, he, here's, here's his words music is a celestial sound, and it is the sound that controls the whole universe, not atomic vibrations, music. Sound, energy, sound, power. It's much greater than any other power in the world. You got a half a million. Young people in a generation standing and listening to the words of this guy who's carrying some spiritual persona, giving language to something that's about to happen. One thing I very much wish, if you all remember, is that, is that with sound we can make, and at the same time with sound we can break. Even in the war field, to make a tender heart an animal... They use sound to do so. Without the war band, that terrific sound, man would not be, uh, become an animal to kill his own brethren. And he keeps going down through here preaching his, preaching his stuff. And I'm going to save us a lot of time by getting to where he, where he eventually got. Uh, he says, He says, before I conclude this talk, and it was quite lengthy, he says, I'd like all of you now to join me and our group here, and we're going to repeat in a, a very simple chant. As I was reminding you of the sound power, there are certain mystical sounds which the Sanskrit terminology says that are the bishakara. And, I, and I'm, that's, I'm probably destroying that word with my Southern English. But, but, but then he says, which are seed words. We are going to use, here, here's his words, and I quote, we are going to use three seed words or mystic words to formulate the chants. And if you will all join me with your whole heart, after the chant, we're going to have at least one whole minute of total and complete silence. Not even the cameras are going to click at this time, because in that silent period, not one, that one minute of silence, you are going to feel the great spiritual power. You're going to feel this great power of the sound and the wonderful peace that it can bring in you and into the world, into the whole world. Let us have a sample of that now. And they begin to do this chant. And it is called, it's the, he says, the words will be hare and one is om, which is the the second word. The first chant will have these two words, hare, om, hare, They start doing this chant. Now, uh, this, does anybody have any idea what this chant was that it gave voice to with a half a million people in a generation? Let me, let me. Hari means the remover. So when, uh, when one remembers his name and then repeats it, what he's doing is he's saying, Hari, the one who removes sins, removes bad karmas, remo- removes all astrological effects, they're erased to remove all pain and all suffering are removed out of your life at this chant. And Om is the primordial, primordial cosmic vibration from which sprang the entire cosmos was spoken into existence with this word, am. So you hear the counterfeitness of what's going on here. And it says its essential meaning is that hariam is a universal mantra that removes all suffering. And then the last one was ram, 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 ram. They do this thing over and over. And what they're declaring there to a generation who is already trying to find their own way and disgusted and disappointed by the culture and the church and the war and all this stuff. And now, what they're saying they, they're is, they're accrediting a Hindu deity with the ability to change the world if we'll but find our sound. And that was, of course, in 1969, but in 1967, this out of england had already been created this this uh, soundtrack and then so in so in 1967 summer of love they all show up in san francisco with flowers in their hair but the beatles didn't come did you know that the beatles didn't come to that but two of them did they in play they came in disguise they came incognito to see what their music had created and that's when they realized wait a minute they're jumping off buildings they're having you know, free sex over here, and they're having, and they're ODing, and they're jumping off the bridge, suicide, and the Beatles realized immediately the death that was in there. And they had already, and so they immediately became spiritual because they realized the spiritual power in their song, the influence, how they could actually shape the world's understanding of life. It was a crazy time in history. Now, I've got a reason for, uh, for this odd message I'm bringing you tonight. So please stay with me for a minute. Because what happens then is the Beatles realize the power in song and the power in sound. So the, immediately they go get uh, the, uh Maharishi guy to become their guru. So they fully intend on using sound to change the world. But they're never going to do drugs again because they saw the, what, the death that drugs brought. So now they become spiritual and their sound is gonna heal the world. Are you with me? Yeah. And so they decided w- they're gonna go and they're gonna establish a new re- religion born out of sound and they're gonna do it at the most, in the most spiritual place on earth. They're gonna to go to the Mecca of all song. Does anybody know where that is? They went to Bangor, Wales. <laughs> what? Wouldn't you think it would've been Egypt or me- the Mecca? Or something? No, but they went to the land of song. And the Maharishi, and I've got pictures of them sitting in the room, and and even the the stones got off the, the the Rolling Stones and the Beatles were going to be the ones who led this new world religion and, and music or sound. A crazy thing just happened in the earth. 1967. But it soon fell apart because the Maharishi guy, they were feeding him bazillions of dollars, and the, and the wheels come off of that because he's buying prostitutes and using all those bazillions of dollars. And they, even they, their own hearts wouldn't even, what? They're disappointed. Shut that down, but they'd already created the sound around the sitar and so on. So that's when they brought Ravi Shankar into the picture. And Ravi Shankar, if you remember, y'all remember Bangladesh, My Sweet Lord, and all that, singing to these Hindu gods and all this stuff. But now what they've done is they brought Ravi Shankar in to undergird that sound because they realized the spirit, spirituality in the sound. And, and remember Moody Blues did a song called, called Om? Yeah. It was this chant. It was one of their big records was this chant. And so the whole world all of a sudden turned spiritual and everybody t- was seeking some sort of answers in, the, in humanity and they're turning to drugs and music, sex, drugs, rock and roll, everything that appealed to the flesh is what was going on. And it was finding its voice through the music. And now they get to the Ravi Shankar and he winds up in an illicit affair with a Welsh girl. Hmm. And they have, a little, they have a daughter and her name is Nora Jones. Yeah. But they never... And no, so Nora Jones never claimed her father though because of all that it would have been born out of that. But if you listen to Nora Jones singing, you'll hear some of that sacred seed of the land. Again, covenant... Blood, multi generational purposes of God. And s- different generations have opportunities for someone to just step out of the ranks with a pure sound or with a sound that identifies the conflict in the spirit realm over a land, and all of a sudden everything shifts. Okay, with this being said, can we get crazy enough to believe that God's got some Davids in the fields? Come on. Can we, believe, are we, can we be crazy enough to believe there's some Asaphs yes. and some Jeduthuns and some Ethans and some Kenanias, and there are some that are actually carrying the complete and total opposite of what shaped an entire generation. Yes. Now there's steps up a generation that says, wait a minute, the song of the Lord is a powerful force that can calm storms and, and release healing and release life yes. and release a harvest of the nations this is what the tabernacle of David is about. It's not about a group somewhere. In, uh, it's not about Hillsong being able to influence the church. It's not about Bethel being able to influence the church with new sounds. And all, now, to be successful or valid in the kingdom, we've got to try to sound like Bethel. You know, I mean, I'm there. I teach their worship schools. I'm there all the time. I love it and I prize it and I value it, celebrate it. Thank God for Brian and Jen. Everything is going on there. But that may not be the sound that wants to come out of this river. That may not be the sound that awakens this land unto its full destiny and calling. There, there might be, some, there might be some, some, uh, some, some Viking blood that needs to be s- sung on this land. You know, there may be some old Saxon blood that's laying back there waiting for promises of God. Of some, someone walking in the cool of the evening in a forest around here and purposes of God were awakened and bloodlines were stirred for a future day that will carry a harvest. Far more powerful thing than has ever happened in this land. Can we get past the transition time? Yeah. Embrace old wisdom and step into new knowings and listen to the new song and the new sound that will come. Yeah. I believe that's what you guys are about. Amen. But wait a minute, we don't have all of the, the big deal, uppity technologies and buildings and if we had bazillions of dollars. No, David stepped out of a shepherd's field with a kinner wrapped yeah. around his arm and played a song that awakened all of heaven yeah, right. and earth had to come into agreement with an intent that had already been set in motion. And that intent of God is still in motion. Waiting for another generation to get their song and get their sound. And now, in a place like Woodstock, you have a whole generation standing there, and all, and, and all of these that no one had ever heard of. Nobody had ever heard of these. Any of them, really. I mean, they had these little cocoons of influence that they were, uh, uh, for example, Maharata Tutu guy. He gets up and does his thing, and, and that night at Woodstock, the world is about to change. And it did, guys. It really did, didn't it? But the world's about to change, and as soon as this guy gets done putting this, basically, a spiritual blanketed curse over a generation, <laughs> you know, and again, I'm not a fear guy, but I'm just telling you, we, we can look back now and see the results of what came out of it and all the death that came and all of the rip-offs that came, and all, all of that. Because there's an enemy come to steal, kill, and destroy. Yeah. Two kingdoms of conflict. Yeah. Two kingdoms are in conflict here. And we lost some, we won some, but what happens next was profound and powerful. Because what happened was, is they couldn't get the band in that was supposed to open the show, because they're stuck in a traffic jam. There's, and some, some folks, some of the bands never made it to Woodstock. Tried three days to get there and couldn't even get there because of the traffic, you know. And but like Joe Cocker, of course, he blew the place away, and you had uh, many others uh, that were that were from England. And uh, but Rod Stewart, he didn't even he didn't show. You know why? Because him and his band got in a fight the night before, <laughs> and they had to cancel out their spot on Woodstock. So you had all of this crazy dynamic going on. But the, but the band that was supposed to. Uh, and, and you remember uh, and I got it, Iron Butterfly, they, the, the, the helicopter broke down and, and they couldn't get them in. And everybody realized, we're thankful that Iron Butterfly actually didn't make it in because that was the, really the first metal band and they said that they would have probably created such passion and emotion there would have been a riot and a lot of death if they would released their sound. That's these secular folks writing that kind of stuff. Because in those days, their sound was so aggressive that it stirred something on a whole other level on a neurological, spiritual, and cellular level of humanity responds to music and aggression. And these folks knew some of that stuff, right? But, then, but who opened it? Because they couldn't get him. Well, they called on a guy that he says, hey, you're up. And he's supposed to play tomorrow, day after tomorrow, at 9 o'clock in the morning or something. But he's there, and so they throw it to him. You know who it was? No, Bob Dylan didn't even make it to Woodstock. He lived three miles away, and didn't make. He had just been in a motorcycle accident, had a concussion, and he didn't want to be around all the noise. (laughs) Bob Dylan, and also he had a child that was uh, uh, hospital treatment or something, but he didn't make it. But it turns, you're up, fellow named Richie Haven. Yeah. And Richie Haven is called to, to open Woodstock. Well, who's Richie Haven? Nobody knew who Richie Haven was, and he's about to be the first voice heard. Richie Haven was a, was a you, you say, I, who said, I know, I do? Yeah. Well, Richie Haven was a, was, a, was a young man who didn't consider himself to be a singer or a musician. He was a poet. And he heard that down at Greenwich Village, they had a whole new breed of people down in Greenwich Village, and they were calling these people beatniks. (laughs) And so he goes down to find out what a beatnik is. And he gets (laughs) there, and it's all these people sitting around, you know, playing music and quoting poetry and all this kind of stuff, and it was like early beat poet stuff was going on then in Greenwich Village. And that's when he realized, he says, I must be a beatnik. But he's like a six foot seven or whatever black guy that don't look like a hippie beatnik. He didn't look right in a headband. He didn't fit in the culture at all. And he wasn't musical, but somebody got a guitar and taught him. He, he didn't know how to make a chord on a guitar, so what he did is he just did a, they gave him an open tuning, and he would hang his thumb over the back of the guitar and just play it up and down the neck <laughs> like this. But his right hand had that African syncopation and rhythmical kind of thing that he could marry his poetry to. And so in his awkwardness, he's there, but he thinks he's going to be one of the cool hippie guys that plays day after tomorrow at some dead time of the day. But no, now suddenly he is the opening sound. And he walks out to do a sound check, and when he gets out on stage to do a sound check, remember. A half a million people, and they've got an SM57 the sound men will appreciate this, but a, an old, cheap, sure microphone that's long <laughs> hanging over, and his, and his friend is about to play congas, and he's playing a guitar into a microphone to 500,000 people. And he walks out to, and to do the sound check and just and now, his father was a gospel singer. And they just tell him, sound check. And so just out of the spontaneity of the first thing that comes to his mind is, he hits a chord and he says, freedom, freedom. And he starts singing an old spiritual that his father sung in church. Just out of a crazy thought. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child. And it goes on. Sometimes I feel, he's just. While they're doing the sound check. So there is no real sound check. Because everybody, when he says, freedom, everybody starts responding and chanting back. Yeah. Freedom, sometimes I feel like a motherless child. And, there, and so he's playing this song. And when he gets through with the song, the promoter guy over here says, um, one more time. <laughs> 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 and so, freedom, freedom. And he goes, and, and then in, in a few minutes, he f- finishes you know, the place roars, freedom, freedom, freedom. And the promoter guy says, one more time. Because they're still trying to get the band in. The band ain't coming. Now watch, guys. Two and a half hours later. Sometimes I feel like a motherless <laughs> child. Two and a half hours. This song. And, and it's still just, the whole place is just wired. And two kingdoms are in conflict. There's a sound battle going on here. There's a cleansing. Some, something's happening. But at the same time, it's just the outrage. And, and wh- finally, it, like two and a half hours into this thing, the unthinkable happens. Remember I told you that David said to sing was to walk about as a strolling minstrel releasing the sound of who you are. Right? Right? Richie Haven gets up and walks away from the microphone and starts walking. There's hundreds of people, all a dozens, r- very close, and hundreds of people up on this huge stage. And he just starts walking into every one of them, playing the guitar and shouting freedom into them. In wow. And you can watch the video. You, uh, Google it. You can watch the video. On, what, is it, what is actually happening here? You don't do that. You're entertaining 500,000 people. You don't go around and start playing your guitar into the face and into the life of somebody. Wow. It was one of the purest biblical expressions of Tabernacle of David's song anywhere in marked history that we can look at. And of course now, but during that day, he went off the, into the spirituality and he became, I don't I forget what all he, what all he became. Now, <laughs> highly spiritual. And... Uh, but that whole event began to set the tempo for what the next generation would carry. And I remember in 1971, uh, uh, when I, I got saved in 1971, and I, I don't ever tell this stuff, but by, but by 1976, I, I had become a professional songwriter in Nashville. And being a songwriter in, in Nashville in those days was very different than it is today, of course. And I've, I've written between 1,000 and 1,200 songs. Sounds very impressive, but only about two of them aren't any good. So, <laughs> but, but anyway, in those days, in 1971, I walked into a concert one night in 1971. And uh, I don't know if you remember uh, Chris Christopherson, he was a big deal in 1971, you know jesus was a capricorn he ate organic food he believed in love and peace and never wore no shoes remember that you know everything was peace and love and and uh, and and here he was a road scholar you know coming into the country music world and uh, bringing a, a depth of poetry and actually scholarship to the the whining sound of country music and but in the and the, but there was a at belmont university in nashville there was this big concert and he was the headliner and had Joe South, remember him, don't he make you want to go home now? He was the opener. Then Jerry Reed followed next. He, I don't know if you know who Jerry Reed is, but when you're hot, you're hot and when you're not, you're not. Na, 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 da, 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 and at that time he had a, bi- a big song called Amos Moses was a Cajun and he lived by himself in a swamp. He hunted alligators for a living and he'd knock him in the head and stomp, boom, da, Great guitar player, real funky country swamp music, you know, and, and now everybody's, wait, Joe South is being booed off the stage because the sound man was doing a bad job, and then he's, fist fights are about to break out, and we're sitting in the middle of 5,000 people, and it's just turning ugly, and they get Joe South off, here comes Jerry Reed and just wears it out, has his doo-wop background singer girls, and they are horn band, the whole thing, big spectacular stuff. Let me take the intermission. And then they said, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Ralph Emery was emceeing, and he walked out after the intermission. He said, ladies and gentlemen, uh, please welcome to the stage the singer, singer, songwriter, songwriter, Mr. Mickey Newberry. Who's Mickey Newberry? (laughs) And so this young guy comes walking out carrying a gut string guitar, wearing a T-shirt and and, uh, blue jeans, and he didn't even have long hair. You, you can't be cool in 1971 and not have long hair. <laughs> he walked out and he sat down with this old gut string guitar, <whistles> he started whistling with the guitar. 5,000 people are stunned to listen to what this guy is saying. In morning came and found her at the window with her nose pressed to the glass, and the dew was like a broken diamond necklace left scattered on the grass. And she slipped from my side, and she stands at the window and watches the rain. And I wish I was blind and could not read her mind and see all the pain. But from here where I lie, I can see a tear in her eyes as she cries out for him and not for me. How many times must a piper be paid for his song? And we, everyone began to hear the most beautiful depth. I, I wish it was a willow tree leaning on a lazy breeze moving like a midnight train through rainy Georgia. I wish I was a grain of sand laying in a baby's hand, falling like a diamond chain into the ocean. But a grain of sand is all I ever wanted to be, so just lay me down and let the water wash over me, wash over me. This wasn't whining and crying in your beer country music. It was beauty. And every 5,000 people are sitting there hearing these songs flow out of this young guy, it wasn't cool and my life changed in that moment I found out I was a songwriter yeah. I, look at this principle so, uh, S- Saul Samuel said Saul you're gonna go up the road tomorrow and you're gonna run into a band coming down the hill and when they play you'll be changed to another man that's a biblical principle there's people in this room can tell you where they were the night they heard Kurt Cobain. There's people in this room can tell you where you were the night you heard such and such. Wait a minute, they're not even Christian. They were carrying a gift of God in their life that's without repentance. And they were, they were a prophetic voice. See, prophecy is not about telling you what to do, it's about awakening who you are. In the same way, like biblical mentoring. Mentoring is not about telling you what and how to do. Mentoring is about loving you so much that you cannot keep from doing what you were created to do. That's what David set in motion. And now we have influences of the world telling us awake and carry the gifting and the creativity we were created for. And the only thing we, have to, uh, we wind up doing in the world is we emulate the emulators that are emulating the imposters, the imitators and the emulators. And because that feels successful, looks successful, sounds successful, so I'll be that. But in fact, they were carrying something to awaken the uniqueness of who the sound you were. And of course, that night, I just got to tell you, I was changed. And within, a, within just two, three years, I was a songwriter in Nashville. My destiny was set in motion, born out of here. And the beauty of a boy from Texas that had fallen in love with songwriting on the dark nights that he spent in the military in England. And over here in England, something would happen when it would rain, which was every day. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there's so much poetry and music and beauty over here because there's no vitamin d <laughs> <You know? laughs> so in that emotional place it just comes right out of the wind right out of the rain right out of the storms it's we're supposed to be those that are that are ro- and, and, and this fellow his name is mickey newberry and i asked mickey one time i said man what happens when you you're a songwriter and and you know, realize this Everybody in the world cut his songs, 14, 12 or 1400 cover songs. Frank Sinatra, Ray Charles, Elvis, everybody in the world cut his music. And I asked him one time, I said, well, what happens if you're a songwriter? What happens if the well goes dry? And he says, well, i write a song about the well going dry. Because <laughs> <laughs> if you're a songwriter, you're a songwriter. If you're an artist, you're an artist. And you, and you learn you learn how to honor the seasons of influence into your life when I'm, painting is going away. Honor the season that something is being deposited because you're going to have a new song on the end of that. You're going to have a whole new expression on the end of that. Don't You don't dig into the deep recesses of depression and despair. It's all over fear-driven. Oh, I better sing, I better do Born Out of Fear. That's one of the reasons we wind up emulating the imitators and the imposters because it gives us voice, and it's not always our own. I know I'm getting a bit deep tonight, but I'm going to tell you something, guys. A song is getting ready to come out of here that is going to, is going to move something in the spirit realm. It's going to cause this, all of this chaos and craziness that's going on in the spirit realm and the nations right now. This nation is not anywhere close to being done. It's not be, and the invasion of all the dark forces that's going on in the spirit realm in this nation. This is the one that's right now getting a song that's going to awaken harvest in the nations of the earth. Now, let me me start closing because you know it takes me an hour to do that. (laughs) Years and years. Uh, I'm in Nashville, and I became a songwriter there, and because of this writer's influence on my life, and it's a healthy thing to do, by the way, is allow those that awaken that thing to influence, you know, and and honor them with the influence, honor them with the impact they've had on your gift, right? And so, my sweetie and I fell in love to, to his music. Uh, I, I'd be, uh, and, and my writing came alive because of his influence on my life. Years later, I'm in, in uh, Nashville as a songwriter, and people would say, man, you ought to, if you ever met, you ought to, you know, and they would try to hook us up, and it never happened. Mm-hmm. And years and years and years went by. And uh, then I, I, like, what was it been? Almost 15, 20 years went by, and I'm in a, in a studio one night, or uh, one day we were, we were recording, we were mixing this, this uh, project we are working on called Mountain Dancer, and I'm sitting there mixing, we'd already put down all the tracks, I'm sitting there in the studio like this on the board with the engineer, and I look up, and here stands uh, Mickey Newberry standing in the door, and I thought, well, you know, I've had some weird things before, I thought I saw, I did saw, <laughs> <laughs> there he stands. And I don't, I, but I don't know what to do here, you know, and so I just sort of just stand up, and he comes running, about this far, he comes running across the room and grabs me and kisses me on the cheek. <laughs> and, I, you know, I'm from Kentucky, fellers don't kiss fellers in Kentucky, <laughs> <laughs> all right? But he runs up and gives me this big old kiss, and he said, Pow, hey, pal, man, I've, I've wanted to meet you for years. He said that. And I didn't know what to do with that. I said, "Are you kidding?" I won't. And he had been listening to my music for years, and I'd been living off of his influence in my life for years, and we had never been been in the same room together. And when he gave me that, it's like a father's embrace. And he said, "He said, listen, can you? I've only got a short time, but could you take a break and us go have lunch together?" We'll go to the Browns Diner, you know. I said, said "You kidding? I'll burn this studio." <laughs> you know? And then he said, "Oh, but I, but I'm sorry." He says, "I've got somebody with me. That have you ever heard of Richie Haven?" And I said, "Yeah, I've heard of Richie Haven." And he said, "Well, is it okay if he comes along for lunch?" And I said, "Yeah." And so we go to to eat lunch, and now I'm thinking, well, wh- "Where's this going to go?" And so I sit down and I said, "You know, I may never have an opportunity to." to but, so I just very openly, I tell him, I said, man, yeah, I've wanted to meet you for years, but my wife and I, you know, we fell in love to your music. We've, we've prayed for you for years. and We know you'd be going through something that was dark. We'd be praying for you. And I said, I don't know if, you, if this means anything to you or not, but I can remember we used to do 21-day fasts for you and your family. And, and, he's, and both of them are sitting there trying to engage with this whole thing, and I'm thinking, well, hey, I may only have one shot at this. I just started speaking life into them. Yeah. And just uh, in every way that I could, find ways to honor and respect and without flattery. Bible never says one good thing about flattery. Yeah. But, it, but, but God honors honor. Yeah. And so out of that, and then from then on, for us, you know, it, the rest is kind of history. But he said, you know, anytime I'm anywhere doing a concert it, he he would uh, send uh, messages, you know, free, pa- free tickets backstage, please come and see me, that kind of thing. And we were always somewhere else, and it kind of never worked much. Every now and then it would. And, uh, but he, he, uh, if you would hear him sing, there was something in his voice that was so powerful, and he didn't realize it. And, uh, and if you go hear him in concert, he would have so many encores, it would get ridiculous. And, and he said, he told me one time, he says, I learned how to fix that. He said, that Encore thing, it can get crazy. And, and for example, he said, that, I just sing till they leave. <laughs> <laughs> and that stops that adulation, adoration thing. He says, I got, I got a song to sing. And he said, I want their lives to feel my music and their melody and the, and the lyrics. But this encore, 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 he said, that's for stars. And, uh, and he played in the Palladium in London and he started singing at 8 o'clock and didn't stop until 10 o'clock the next day. They had to bring new, another union crew in because of the union. They had to get out. He sung until 10 o'clock the next day. Never stopped. Nobody left. <laughs> now, Let's jump forward a bunch of years. I'm, I, at the time, I was part of leadership of a ministry called Morningstar. And I, at the time, I, I used to train horses. And so I was out and around Penn working with these horses. My telephone rings. and it, My telephone went off. The horse come untrained. And, but I answered it. This is years later. And, and I hear his voice. He said, hey, pal, what are you doing? I said, what are you doing? He said, he said I really need to talk to you. And I said, well, all right, what's, what's happening? He said, I'm dying. He said, I'm in, or- I'm in Oregon right now, and I'm dying. I've already died twice, and they brought me back. And he said, would you be willing to come to Oregon and help me finish some songs? I never got to finish. And I, uh, immediately I left, took it out of there the next day. I go all the way to Oregon and go in his house, and there he is laying on his deathbed, basically with all the tubes and all this stuff. And you know what? I'll make this story short. You know as well as I do, it wasn't about writing songs. Yeah, we wrote some. And for four days, I actually laid there beside of him on this big old king-sized bed with a television mounted on the ceiling and it had wires and tubes hanging out of him. And every now and then, he would raise up and he would take my guitar and he would go to that place. And, and I said, I said, what, Mickey, about this, this uh, Encores thing you were telling me. That's what he told him, and I said, w- w- what, does that, what does that mean to you? He said, well, I'm going to tell you. He said, I never understood this. Maybe you can help me with this. He says, when I would be singing in a group of people, he said, I could feel someone walk up behind me and put a robe on me, Whoa. and when they would lay that robe on my shoulders, I would begin to sing, and he said, you can't tell anybody that. He says, none of my friends would understand that. He says, but man, I'm dying. He says, I said, I've got to tell somebody. He said, but somebody would put a robe on my shoulders, and when they did, I would sing, and nobody would leave. Wow. And I said, Mickey, did you realize that that is a mantle? Yeah. And uh, right. yeah. I said, what is this mantle? He, he said, I, I, can I be honest here with you? I said, that's a mantle. He said, what the hell is a mantle? Mantle. You know, he didn't have a Christian languages, Christianese for any of this. And I explained to him about a mantle in the Word of God. And that we were out there for four days. I was telling all these old stories and stuff, and I got ready to leave. I said, man, I wish I didn't have to go, but my little girl's birthday is tomorrow. I've got to fly back to North Carolina. And he reached over and took up a piece of paper, and he wrote a line on there. And he said, here, give this to Ramey and tell her to finish the song. And it was one line. It said, when darkness falls all around us. And so I took that, and uh, as I was walking out the door, he said, he says, hey, pal, let me tell you something. He said, uh, I think you're supposed to get, to get the robe. And I left. And a few days later, he went to heaven, because I got to pray with him. Led him to the Lord. And he, and he gave his heart to Jesus. And uh, he said, you're supposed to get the rope. And that's when the Lord spoke something so powerful and real in my, in my heart that the, if you receive a mantle, it is never about you. It is never, ever about the one who receives the mantle. God will entrust you with a mantle for musicians if you will be the one that will be faithful to make sure it's given away rather than just warn yeah. and see right now there's a thinking and a mindset throughout the body of Christ if we can get the mantle we get identity and we get therefore we get self-worth and we get power we get influence we get this we get that and nothing could be farther than, than the truth that is fan-based Christianity looking yeah. for a place to be heard yeah. and that is not what mantles are about now let's jump forward to two years of course Mickey's in heaven and I'm at home in Nashville then, and I get a phone call. And this guy, is, is, I hadn't heard from him in years. There's a guy called me, and he said, he said hey, man, where, where are you? I said, I'm at home. I'm in Nashville. I'm at home. Give me your address. And I said, what, what, are, you, what are you up to? He said, just give me your address. He said, I, I, I'm, I'm going to ship you something. I'm going to FedEx it. You're going to be home a few days? Yeah. And, he said, and I said, where are you? He said, well, I'm in, I'm in, uh, in Jamaica. What are you doing in Jamaica? He said, I don't have time to talk. Give me your address. I'm shipping you something. And I said, what are you shipping me? He said, have you ever heard of Richie Haven? I said, yeah, I've heard of Richie Haven. And he said, well, I just bought his guitar. And this rich guy gave, I'm telling you, obscene amounts of money for Richie Haven's guitar that opened Woodstock. And he said, I'm sending it to you. It'll it'll be there in three days. And he shipped it to my house Three days later, Richie Haven's guitar is sitting wow. on my porch. Wow. And you know what I did with it? I gave it to a young man in Georgia who's carrying fire and passion for, a, for worship. It, it, it won't be because what is, it's never about you. That's Ministry, influence, all that, it's not about building ministry. It's about how has God blessed you in such a way to give your life away? What is the the very best thing that can happen in the kingdom by you giving your life away? That is what it's about. And and that's what David did. And there is a bunch of Davids rising up now out of the shepherd's field, and they're carrying sound, they're carrying song, they're carrying lyric, they're carrying poetry, they're carrying power, they're carrying influence, they're carrying impact. All of those seeds are there. And it ain't some om, 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 wipe your head out and give access to some hellish... Idolatry of this world to have access with those seed words into your life or anybody else's. The word of truth, the word of God, truth is going to be be awakened and sung again, Amen. and uh, truth is going to be flowing out of the uh, out of Zion into the streets again. Amen. And it's not going to be born out of secular craziness and and empowerment through identity. It's going to be. Our true identity is being found because the ones that are going to be the king don't even know how to spell it. That's what, that was David's whole issue. He had no political prowess, no ambition, no anything. He walked out with a servant's heart and some loud-mouthed demon god speaking through a giant rose its voice up and began to dominate the airwaves and dictate the, the, the agenda. And this kid said, not on my watch you're not. AND HE GRABBED AN OUTRAGEOUS STRATEGY BORN OUT OF INTIMACY WITH GOD, AND OUT OF THE PASSION OF HIS HEART, HE TOOK OUT A GIANT, A GIANT FELL, AND A WHOLE GENERATION NOW ARE RELEASED INTO THEIR DESTINY. THAT'S WHERE WE'RE HEADING NOW, GUYS. AND I I JUST WANT TO PRAY THAT AND SPEAK THAT OVER THIS HOUSE RIGHT NOW. BUT I, I, I USUALLY DON'T TELL ALL OF THIS STUFF, BUT I FEEL LIKE I'M SUPPOSED TO RELEASE IT AS A PROCLAMATION in this house. And I know we're just in a, a, a little town in England on, in a little church on Monday night. This ain't a big deal. It is, in God's heart. I'm going to tell you right now, this is a really big deal. This is a far bigger deal than a Monday night meeting, I'm just telling you. In Jesus' name, I declare over this house right now that the Davids, that the, that the, the, that the Asaphs, the Jaduthans, the Hemans, I'm declaring right now that the, that the prophets, that the prayer warriors, that, that, that the ones that are separated and set apart to release something out of nowhere, that we declare we declare Whitley Bay to be a Bethlehem. We declare that this place to be the house where God touches the world. From this place, and it and, and it it may seem so outrageous, but we're declaring in the spirit realm right now that seed words will rise up here that shifts uh, 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 shifts this nation and the nations of the world understanding who the greatness of our God is. Well, I thank you Lord that there that there are those in this place that will carry song that'll raise uh, that will purify the water and the wells of the destiny of the land that w- that we're standing on even now. That this whole nation become now become alerted that the glory of the uh, of the, the glory of the king is coming back. Amen. And the king and the king is already in the field and and things are, this is a season of demarcation right now for signs and wonders and miracles, even beyond the disappointments, beyond beyond the delusion and beyond the pain of yesterday's, what feels like failure yesterday. And But we declare right now that this will be a, a this is a band that's gonna get on the boat and they are going to the other side come hell or high water, storm or no storm, there's something deeper within this house than there is in the winds that would stand against it. And we we declare that the adversity that has stood in resistance will now yield to the authority that has been deposited inside the spirit and the song and the lives and the creativity of those that are in this house. In Jesus' name, this is, this is one of those moments. Right now, this is a moment. Hey. This right here is one of those moments where everything changes and you will mark your life. 20 years from now, you're going to look back at, at a Monday night. And what was the name of that place? It was Whitley Bay. It's one of those kind of things. So much is going to accelerate in the next 20 years. You're going to look back though and remember that night remember that night remember that night remember that moment remember that quickening remember that seed that broke through Some of you are carrying seed dreams right now. Seed dreams, words, truth. You know that it's more alive in you than anything else. Yeah. But there also it has been hidden away for such a season because that seed of calling and destiny on your life has rolled off of a leaf and down into the ground and it's in a dark that it does not know, reaching for a light that it could not see. But this is the night that breakthrough happens and that seed pops through and now it will stand. And now it will rise into its full purpose and full call and full destiny upon your life. Will be lived out because of the simple, not breakthrough like a dam, but a breakthrough like a seed popping through the ground. And we declare that word seed be more alive right now than ever. Even the ones that you thought were prophecies that were forgotten and will never be lived out. The ones that you put years ago on the shelves of being in the name of being in balance with prophecy those are the ones that are being awakened now and popping through. There are healing anointings you've never experienced, but you've gotten the words for how many years, and it never happens. And then hope deferred makes the heart sick. Oh, well, we declare that the hearts, hearts come fully alive tonight to the new day, fully alive tonight on this night, on this night, on this night. even as even as the earth is being marked while we're standing this the earth is being marked with an eclipse yeah. it will always be a reminder of how something shifted in the spirit realm in individuals lives in this room and we'll carry them as testimonies to our children and our children's children's, children's children there will be generations of bloodlines will shift into whole new places because of something that was marked in your heart on the night that the eclipse took place on the other side of the globe. In Jesus' name. I want to point out there was not one person, not one person that I talked about tonight, not one person was even really even known in any way until they walked into their moment and the seed of their destiny broke through and they rose up into into the fullness of who they were were created to be. This room is full of the seeds of God, the words of God, the truth of God, the destinies of generations. This room is full of that. What if we already waited too late? Uh, Are you kidding me? No, absolutely not. There's not one person in this room that has already waited too late. We have a God who is able to renew, repair, rebuild, and restore. Let the song in you come fully alive. Let the gifting and the anointing in you come fully alive. Let the healing grace upon your life come fully alive. Let the song in you. Let, let whatever you know is that dream seed under there tonight, we declare, break through. In Jesus' name.